everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Alana, and I'm here with a very special guest, Ernest Owens. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for thinking of me um, to be here. <laughs> of course. I'm um, so glad you could join me in the studio today. I've been a fan of you and your work for a while now, and um, since we first started this podcast, I wanted you to be a guest just because I appreciate your opinion in, oh, on things. Um, before I get into questions, could you tell the listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Yes, yeah, so I'm a journalist here in Philadelphia, um, both local and national. I'm also the CEO of my own company called Ernest Media Empire LLC, which is basically a conglomerate for all of um, my business dealings with my writing, public speaking, um, media advisory and consulting that I also do. Um, and in addition to that, I sit on several boards. I also teach from time to time, um, writing um, and, and media advice and, and things like that. And I'm also the founder of my own organization called uh, Philly Millennial Media Makers of Color, which is just basically a collective of um, 21 and 34-year-old um, black and brown um, media uh, creators, um, whether they do communications, public relations, journalism itself, visual arts, anyone who does anything in the media field, um, I basically uh, curate events to kind of bring um, us together and also do media trainings, um, career opportunities, and other things like that. Okay, so a lot of things, a lot of different things. Yes. Um, now, you recently graduated from Penn. Did you enjoy your time here? Yeah, I think for the most part... I it's it's one of those things where you know you can't put the the the, the pin on uh, what the pin experience is and what its worth is. It kind of evolves through time. Um, I had wrote, you know, last year was my I think third year post graduation, and I wrote a piece about some of the things I learned that I definitely did not know in 2014 when I first graduated from Penn. Um, and next year will be my fifth reunion. And I'm still learning, like, the different things about myself, about this city and this in, in Philadelphia's relationship to Penn, um, how it's changed over the years for the good and for the, for the bad, and learning, you know, what my education and experience has afforded me and what I've been able to tell others. And I think sometimes we often take for granted the experiences we have here, because um, it's so easy, because there's a monolith of thought and language and the way to do it. And uh, that oftentimes shape uh, people's um, trajectory. And for me, that was something that I was very early on pushing against um, just through the, the decisions I made um, professionally and just artistically and, and the things that I tried to do and the stuff that worked, that didn't work, and, and, and how I moved forward from there. But it, essentially, I would say that I wouldn't regret the experience. And I think that I need to have that because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't um, have been able to write and tell the stories that I tell now. And that's not necessarily the value of the degree per se, but just the experience itself and what it has done it um, shape my, my perspective. So I, I think I'm at a place now where it's an invaluable experience and I don't regret it. And no matter how I will feel about it through time, um, I won't regret the experience. And, and I think that that alone. But as far as personal experience goes and things, it was fun. It was a riot. Um mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of stuff that happened um, that just, you know, again, taught me how to be a better person and also be able to understand different types of people. Um, you know, when I, I grew up in Houston, Texas, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Houston, went to public school all my life. And coming to Penn, I, I really got to understand the intersections of class, especially, um, you know, 
you know, how race plays a role in education for different people, um, understanding regional differences, cultural differences based on that, um, and and really got to explore and unpack, you know, myself, um, who I am through my sexual orientation, through my race, through my class status, through my changing interest in profession and how that shaped the way that I later came in. I came to Philly um, through Penn initially to be a politician and, and do law and, and went down that road initially. And then quickly through experiences at Penn realized the importance and the power of the media and, and switched gears very quickly and, and found my voice and, and really my leadership through that platform, which end up shaping how other things happened on campus. Um, so I think, you know, it's, 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 you, you're not going to have all the answers each year. You think you know and you don't, and you just really just wait. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, I think people, I don't know what they call it, the GPT or the you know the input or the value of it or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, the returning investment or whatever they call it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it literally changes and evolves um, each year. So I, I love it, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't regret my time at Penn. Uh, definitely um, could offer whatever advice I can to people navigating it, but it wouldn't be on what to do. It would probably be on how to go about certain things. But outside of that, I don't regret the experience. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. And you spoke a little bit about how you're able to tackle differences, whether that's regionally, culturally. Recently, you were on TV um, discussing whether or not filmmakers should be open about a character's sexuality. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that? Yeah, so I was on HLN, and this is when Han Solo came out, and one of the characters on there played by Donald Glover, the character Londo, um, identifies as pansexual. And there was mm-hmm. a conversation um, that I was able to participate on TV about discussing you know, whether or not characters' sexual identity should be known. But my, my argument about that was that, that we... It's a part of who we are. It's almost like asking, should should race be in the equation? Should we not know if a character is black or white? It's like, no, that that's a part of their identity. That's who they mm-hmm. are. The same way we can't erase gender. I mean, it's a part of people. No one's and I think it's interesting because what I argue on the show and I still argue is that no one says that when it comes to heteronormative dynamics. Um, no one ever says, We don't need to know that Mickey and Minnie are straight. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that would kind of you know, screw up the storyline for them because if they are supposed to be dating and he's supposed to save her, there has to be some type of romantic um, scenario at play with the way that they di- their dynamic is. And also we miss great stories that way. You can't tell a love story if we don't know the person's sexual orientation, whether gay or straight or in between. It, you have to know certain things to tell certain mm-hmm. stories. You you can't exclude that. So I, I think it's a stupid question um, that many people in the industry uh, or some of the critics try to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that it's still, I think that that question has been circling around for so long, and I'm wondering why people are so hung up on it. Um, but it's, I don't know. Well, because they're insecure. <laughs> I think a lot of times people project a lot of their curiosities or in- insecurities out into the world to try to get validation and answering from other people. And rather than just simply say, I don't know, or I'm personally curious, they try to make it a group think to mm-hmm. get other people on board to either confirm or deny their own personal suspicions. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk to you um, a little bit about performative activism because I find at institutions like this, a lot of places you see a lot of people who identify, who are self-identify as things like woke or an ally or a feminist. And even with regards to rappers and singers in the news recently, you still find these same people 
still supporting problematic artists or still trying to play devil's advocate in these kind of conversations. Why do you think it's so hard for people to keep the art and the artist connected? Why is it hard, you said? Yeah, why do you think it's difficult for people? Um, for example, I'll use I'll use Kanye for an example. Sure. Why do you think it's difficult for people to um, to consider Kanye alongside his music and boycott him instead of saying like, "Oh well, I don't I don't think about the artists when I just listen to their music." Or no, like that, that. That, it's not difficult. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we pick and choose what we want to do, right? It wasn't hard to do it to Roseanne. Mm-hmm. But it's somehow it's hard for Kanye, right? No, it, it, people do it when it's things that are close to them. It's like anything. People treat these individuals like family members, and it's really hard for them to distance themselves from 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 individual brands that they've grown up on and, and people that they've grown up to. And when it's not people that they can relate to or people they have a connection with, like people are quick to throw, you know, Taylor Swift down because they don't listen to Taylor Swift. They didn't like her music anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, with people like Chris Brown and R. Kelly and Kanye, these are people that they closely idolize, so it's a little bit harder. But it's not hard. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, is that you know, complicity is real. People are complicit. You know, in other words, they are okay with that discomfort. I mean, for example, um, when I was at Penn, I had an issue with, you know, the way that Greek life was set up on campus, especially, I mean, across the board, not just not just black fraternities. I think people always thought that I always had an issue with black Greek life over any other life, but not really. It was just mm-hmm. that that was closer to me because I was more engaged um, socially in um, black social party spaces. Um, my entire pen career was very much so diverse and nuanced. Um, if people just look at my resume, I was very much involved in a lot of things that were not necessarily for black students directly. But socially, in my personal life, you know, most of the parties I went to before I was um, 21, they were mostly black frat parties and the posters and the flyers they used to have. I know it's changed and a little bit changed because of me, I would say. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take credit for that. I mean, there's articles about it, but mm-hmm. they were very hypersexual. They were very graphic. I mean, nothing like what you all see now. They've got a little mm-hmm. bit more creative in the way they promote their events, but um, but they haven't gotten creative on how that they... Uh, they haze and that that is still a thing that continues to happen on this campus. We know it. We're mm-hmm. quiet about it. We still support that system. And it's ironic because these are people that are going to be future lawyers and future politicians and people that are arbitrators of the law. And yet they're doing things in, in many ways that are that are contradictory to what that looks like. Right. Like mm-hmm. we talk about Title Nine, and yet people walk all over that. But yet we are. These are people going to practice the law and practice what Title IX is and talk about, you know, you know, equality and, and, and things, but they practice hazing. And so it's, 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 it's disgusting. But I think people are complicit because of acceptance. People are complicit because they want to feel like they're in. And we, as individuals, oftentimes make trade-offs about what we think are morally right or what we think is consciously correct. And, again, it's all about relativity, right? Because if you did not have friends that was in the Greek life system or people that were pledging, you would probably be quick. If you saw a video of what they were doing to some of those people and some of the deaths that have happened across the country year in and year out to certain people, these are black men and women abusing other black men and women. And and, and in many ways, some of them have died. Some of them have been, you know, um, battered very in in such a hard way. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Um, you know what I'm saying? Um uh, and, and I uh it's it's disappointing um that this has happened. Mm-hmm. You know. 
Um, and and that, I think that's um, the problem. Mm-hmm. You're saying, I definitely agree. The complicity, like people are okay with this type of stuff happening as long as, you know, they can be able to feel good about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. As long as Kanye makes a hit, I'm okay with whatever Kanye else is doing outside his world. I'm not going to speak on that because I feel good. As long as the Greeks keep the picnic and the stroll party and everything else going on, I'm going to be okay. It's mm-hmm. only when things start getting taken away from us, when people start personally losing their own investments and things in the process, then that's when we tend to speak up and speak out. Mm-hmm. You know, no one started, no one then started, you know, talking about, um, even, even the people that started talking about Kanye, it wasn't, it's, I mean, Kanye had did several things to build up to this point, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. already went to Trump Tower. He already dyed his hair blonde and met with Trump and was <laughs> yeah. already dissing Beyonce and Jay-Z and talking about he was supporting Trump and all this Mm-hmm. over a year ago. But because he started denying the slavery, the people said, okay, this is the final straw. Like, as a community, when are we... Like, who puts the parameter on what's going too far? And so for me, I'm not going to keep trying to convince people. I'm just going to be a conscious consumer in my own right and make decisions on my own merit. And sometimes you can push the needle and get people to change, and sometimes you don't. But you have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And you have to know what's best for you. Definitely, definitely. You've been... Um, you've been fe- featured in several magazines and news outlets, yeah. radio stations. Yes. You are also a CNN contributor. Um, what would you say would be the hardest part about what your job is? Uh, well, first of all, it's not a job. It's a career. Um, <laughs> I, I don't look at it as a job. And actually, I don't know if I should even call it a career. Like, I have fun with what I do. I, I work. I work from home, but I'm hardly ever at home. And, you know, I get to set my own schedule. Like, I don't have a get up at 9 a.m., get coffee. I don't even drink coffee. But I I do my own thing. Like, I really get to do what I want, and I really create that for myself. Um, I, I don't know. I'm having fun. Like, I don't – it's weird because I don't feel like I'm doing work. I just kind of – you know, just do what I do, and, and like I'm, I, and I and I get paid to do it, which is great, and that's the most important part. Partially, and, and, and making an impact is the most important part, but being compensated to do it is important because mm-hmm. I've seen so many uh, black and brown creators and people who do the work and 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 they can't survive, and that's hard and that's real. Um, so I'm grateful to be able to do what I um, have been set out to do and what I love to do, and also be able to do it in a way that you know get, you know, make a living. Um, I, I guess the 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 hard the hardest part is not being able to do everything. I guess not being able to always be there. Sometimes you have to say no, and sometimes it's not even saying no because you don't like something, but because you just can't do it. Um, and and recognizing those limitations that you know you only have twenty four hours in a day, and you only have and you and you got to take some time. Like there's, I take a lot. I take time just because I have. A vacancy in my schedule to do something doesn't mean I should always do it. Like, for mm-hmm. example, today I could be going to the Pride flag raising, but I've been to several of them, and I don't really like the people over there just doing it this year. <laughs> so I don't have to go, and I'm okay with that. And I mean, there, there, there's a lot of social – there's a lot of reasons why I should be there, and I should be doing that. But I'm just going to go home, and I'm going to chill I'm going to draft some things. I have something. I'm on a board of something. So I'm going to. I'm a secretary of a board, so I have to. I'm going to f- refresh in some minutes that I've been trying to do all week, and I've been playing. But I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to catch up on Queen Sugar. Uh-huh. Wait for my boyfriend to come home, and then I and I got and I and I'm going to chill, and that's okay. 
But I could have been in these streets tonight and I could have been getting ready for all of that and being out there on the scene, on the scene. But, you know, there's times you have to take a step back and just say, okay, I'm good. I'll be all right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what it is. It's been the, the, the thing I've been learning over the past couple of years, especially the past two years, is recognizing that I don't have to be at everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And that I need to, that there's a, it's, there's 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 time for everything and to say okay nah I'm good because you know you just you, you just you, you know some stuff is like you gotta have it's nothing nothing is ever like always emergency sometimes I think we're always dramatizing and making things seem like it's an immediate emergency that we have to stop and drop everything and do it and and, and a lot of times it's not like that so I'm chilling so that's mm-hmm. what it has been that's what it's been for me is to do that. In what ways do you see your queerness informing your content and your viewpoints? Um, I, I think that it may well for me it's 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 part of the story, and I think too often we um, on campus and in general people always are, are telling people, you know how to, you know like how like like this oh it's tougher it's hard to be black or hard I'm like I don't know I'm both I don't really know. What's hard? I I can't separate the two. It's almost like asking a woman, a black woman, like you know, you know, you know, well, woman, woman experience aside, how does it feel just to be black? And it's like, no, being a black woman, like you have to take a black woman, all of her identity, you know, gender and sexuality. These things correlate and tell the story. And so for me, it's a really about expressing and telling the story. It's not really about. Uh, making this distinction. And so I'm always bringing all of my identities to the table and, 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 and especially my queerness in the sense of expressing how it's important to allow for difference in this fabric that we're trying to have here um, of this dream or this community, right? Is that mm-hmm. we have to see different images. We have to know they exist. We know they exist and they need to have a seat at the table. And when I was at Penn, I really fought for that of trying to do that. And it disrupted people. I think me, really me and my boyfriend was the first. I mean, he went to also a, a Penn grad. Um, we were the first like really main like out black couple uh, that was on campus that were like out and about. Mm-hmm. Uh, before me, there wasn't that many. Many of them either were in inter- interracial relationships, which was, you know, that's their cup of tea. <laughs> um, some of them, you know, were in the closet, so people didn't know. And I had, I, I knew a lot of people that were in situations where there was private relationships that we couldn't talk about. Um, mm-hmm. But I was very adamant in, in my life, say, if I ever get a chance to have a serious relationship, and I had some previous situations before uh getting into what has now been a four year relationship four year long relationship and counting that <laughs> it would be um something that I wanted to be I, I did not want to separate myself from. And I think that was a thing too was just like society and the community can force you to have to feel like one part of your life is only there. Like, no, I brought my boyfriend with me to we were together in the community. And still are. We are in the community. We're both communities. I mean, he's at the African American Chamber of Commerce. I'm an LGBTQ editor at Philadelphia Magazine. We go to LGBTQ events together and all our blackness. We go to the African American events in the city um, as a couple and people acknowledge us as such. And these are not necessarily uh, LGBTQ spaces. These are heteronormative spaces, but we're there. And we're there and we because we, we are a part and of the community. And I think it takes more of us not feeling like we have to 
to do a half and half. And too much, too many people I know at Penn felt like they had to be into dual identities. No, walking both and force both, both mm-hmm. communities and in, 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 in to, to come to terms with that and to understand that and to embrace that and to accept that. Because when people are asking for my money, they're not asking for half of it. Do you want the gay side or do you want the straight side of my, <laughs> yeah. my dollar? Um, when you want me to donate? Um, are you, are you, you know, what, you know, when people ask it for my volunteer, you want, you know, half of my hours got to go to gay hours and the straight hours. Like, we don't do that when <laughs> yeah. we're asking for money and time and energy. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to be doing that when it comes to community engagement, things like that. So that, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's that's real. That's really real. Yeah. Do you have any advice for students or listeners or anyone with a passion for journalism and writing um, or just doing work similar to yourself? Um, I, <sighs> advice? A lot of our audience is other students and yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, see, I think it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, I will always say advice is for different levels. Like... Mm. Like, if I was dealing with people that are professional, I would be given, like, a different level of advice because I'm like, okay, you're still out here not making money and you're in your, you know, 30s. Come on. <laughs> but for young people, what I would tell a lot of them, in which I which I learned early and what I still continue to remind myself, you don't have to get a green light from some institution or from somebody to validate your need to do something. I think that is just the pen thing, the Ivy League thing, the college thing, whatever. There just always is need of a cosign because most people's jobs who are not in the field of media feel like there's a cosign. There's never a cosign. Anybody can make news if they practice the ethics. Anybody can join these organizations. I mean, there are tons of journalism organizations nationwide. The National Association of Black Journalists, the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. I'm going to make this personal plug for Penn. So at Temple, there is the Temple Association of Black Journalists, which is a, is a collegiate chapter that is a part of the National Association of Black Journalists. They make chapters. I have always wanted Penn to get a chapter because we are an Ivy and we have people here that do great work. There needs to be a Penn Association of Black Journalists, like for mm. for students Definitely. that are interested in it. Because Temple has a chapter, child, and I get I get invited to speak at Temple all the time. Penn doesn't invite me to speak. Hmm, I was about to say Penn does not invite me. <laughs> well, let me clarify, Penn. Penn, the institution, invites me to speak and be a part. I'm very active with alumni groups and things. I get invited to stuff. Um, I've had class from Annenberg invites mm-hmm. me. The schools invite me. But my crew don't invite me, and my crew act like I don't exist. And I know why. Mm-hmm. They can be salty, but I have mm-hmm. a verified account. Um they don't they don't invite me. They don't they they invite the same New York Wall Street people with the same Wall Street stories and the same fake entrepreneurship stuff. I mean, in no uh-huh. shade. There's some people that's doing some stuff that is decent, but a lot of this stuff, like five years from now, it's not you're not gonna hear about it. Yeah. I have been on these streets, I've been in these streets um for a minute doing this work, and I don't need anybody's validation or credit, but it's interesting that you know, I think when I look at the kind of journey that I've done that's been really organic, that's really been um, independent, because you have to remember, I came to Penn. I had, I'm had i a first-generation student. I came to Penn with no connections to the East Coast, didn't know anybody. Um, and I am the story. I'm the story that many people, you know, I feel like has been inspiration. And when I have reached out to Penn students, you know, independently, they do reach out to me. Like, you've brought me on your show. I'm very flattered that, you know, you've been able to have this production and even think of me to come on. And I've they find me. They see mm-hmm. me and they say, wow, he went to Penn and he's young and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, and I always come out. I've never 
turn down an invitation if I can make it to a pen thing. Anything to, to do with the undergrad specifically, the grad school kids, whatever. <laughs> but the but the undergraduate kids, anybody who comes to me and say, hey, could you come to this event? Can you speak at this? If I have time to do what I do. So mm-hmm. a lot of individual student groups, PASA reached out to me a couple of months ago to be a part of their panel. I come to a lot of stuff. But some of these other institutions on campus, they're a little salty. And some of the people that's there, they really don't want me there because I am really... I am a radical. I mm. have challenged the status quo about the way that Penn students are being groomed. And I feel like a lot of the black Penn students are being groomed like guinea pigs to go through these OCR trainings and to mm. be tapped into some of these phases. And we need to start telling specifically black and brown students at Penn that that, that route, like this capitalistic route that they keep draining into these kids is just not does not work the same for us. And we keep seeing stories and we keep hearing about this. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. And I see that definitely, even as an undergrad, how we're all sort of groomed in that way to always think of an internship over the summer at, you know, these really big companies on Wall Street or like whenever we have speakers come in to talk to us, they're usually investment bankers or like people who you know, are doing the entrepreneurial route and things like that, but and never... I mean, <clears throat> and I'm doing the internet... I'm doing the entrepreneurial route, too, but mm-hmm. that's not my focal point. My focal point is that people don't look at me first and foremost as an entrepreneur or a black capitalist. <laughs> because yeah. that's really what these guys are being, a black capitalist, and we keep driving this capitalism narrative. I mean, we I know we have Warden, and I get it. And I get that we have all these... That, you know, there's that aspect. If people want to make money, they want to pay off their loans. I get it. But there are other experiences and other success stories that are not censored around capitalism mm-hmm. and, and, and forefront capitalism. Like people, like I'm making money, but that's not my measurement of success. Like most of these people, like they're going through hell and back. And the big story is, but he's made this much money. It's like, no, no, no. Like my work has gotten laws passed in this city. My work has changed communities. My work has changed blocks. My work has gotten people fired. My work has gotten people hired. My work has put people on the map. My work has put people in positions of power that have never had positions in power. That's the kind of impact that, you know, has come from my experiences at Penn that has inspired me to do the work that I do today. That's the story that we should be telling. And so I think my advice to people, especially especially black folks in media that are young, build community on campus, find other people. There's too many people working in vacuums here and silos. And that used to always be my biggest annoyance on campus is that there was a lot of people working in silos, like independently. And it, and I and I would love and I and in my class was the, was the class of 14, my god. We were very much so very talented. A lot of us were really great. Um some of us are trash, but <laughs> some of us are really great. And I think the sad part about it is that we were very much so separate. We were very much so, and we were, fa- and it was so much fake love, but it was a lot of division. Like people really worked in their own vacuums. And I saw people struggle that didn't have to struggle because I'm like, there's somebody across the street and this, this. And we were so, and, and people created these, I mean, there were people in fraternities, right? And sororities, like, oh, I got all these fascists, uh, sorority sisters, and, and, and all this crap. But then they would be by themselves and, and, and feeling like confused and ice them. Like, but you just got beat for several weeks and you come into a girls group or, or a guys group or whatever, these circles, and you still feeling confused and neglected and, let, and alone. And I'm like, where's the brotherhood and sisterhood? I guess you can't spend enough thousands of dollars 
to, to form those relationships. And some people get in those relationships and they love it and they think it's great and it makes them feel relevant. I mean, <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot of it's a lot of interesting choices that was that was made. And I think it's sad that there there's people, I mean, we're very I mean, I realized how impressionable I was. Because you are. You're this is the first time you're out your mama's house, your, your your daddy's house, your parents' house, and you're in the real world and you and you are very vulnerable emotionally, sexually, socially. And so it's easy to 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 run and cling to what is already there mm-hmm. rather than envisioning and imagining a place that isn't there. And for me, coming to campus out, I came to campus straight out. I wasn't in the closet, I wasn't playing those games, I was out. <laughs> and I had to create a world that allowed me to be fully comfortable in my sexuality and be black and be successful on campus. There was really no one on campus. There wasn't too many people on campus that I saw able to do both. They had to choose between, you know, engaging with the black community on campus or engaging with the queer community on campus, but they couldn't do both. And I think my presence in many ways was very controversial, but very much so inspiring to so many people who was like, I couldn't do it like you did, but I'm happy. Like when I think of someone like James Fisher, mm-hmm. who who's on campus, I see a little bit of my his his excitement and his his um, tenacity to just be, just don't go away. Because mm-hmm. I think too many people want people like him to go away. They wanted people like me to go away. People that are like asking tough questions and challenging status quo. And they want people like us to 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 just go away because they can't take us. They can't take us asking, you know, they can't take us to get all it all together. And we're not we're not we're not allowing uh compromise. And mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of people who won't let us be. When I came to campus, I was my full out self, you know, and I and I think what was hard for them was that I was also um sexual like I was very much so flirty and fun mm-hmm. and I was everything that an 18 19 20 year old in some years is right mm-hmm. like I saw guys on campus that were you know that will talk all day I mean every what what, what are people talking about on college campus when they're not talking about their studies they're talking about sex and dating mm-hmm. and I think people just couldn't take that there was somebody who was attractive if I do say so myself <laughs> and also black and male and open and just like yeah like I was talking to this guy and they're like what you was doing what and I'm like well aren't you doing the same thing mm-hmm, exactly they couldn't take that they couldn't take that they really because they want you to because what they like the pen pens like their gays quiet and submissive right we don't need to see it I don't want to hear about it and a lot of gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender um students on campus and queer students on campus that are black I feel like they always change it up when they're around their quote-unquote straight friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, no. Like, if, if these are going to be your... They're your friends. They, you need to be real with them. If they are your associates, you know, figure that relationship out. But if these are people that are quote-unquote your friends, why are you downplaying your feelings and your thoughts about things? I feel like that, that wasn't cool. So I forced, you know, the community to have to tolerate, if not accept... Because acceptance was asking for too much at that time. I feel like we're, I don't even know if we're getting close to acceptance in this school, but mm-hmm. we're a little bit over a, a tolerance where it was like, this person is here. They're not going anywhere and we can't ignore them and we can't deny them. And to this day, I'm still the same way. So mm-hmm. my my advice to, <laughs> I, I kind of went in a tangent, but <sighs> 
for the media folks in college that are trying to get a career. There's never a time to to not be doing work. You can always be doing something right now to to enhance your career. You are never waiting. Stop waiting. There's there's things that you can wait for, right? People are always waiting like, "Oh, I need to have this internship before." I... No, 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 no. Before I got put on, I was doing radio for 4 years on Penn's campus at WH the WQHX. WQHS, not X. Um so I was at WQHS. I had a show called Earnestly Speaking I did for four years straight consecutively. I had 10 seasons, nine seasons, nine seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine seasons because I had a special summer season. It was two person. It was, was Each season was a semester. So, and I did a summer season. So it was like, tech, yeah, it was nine mm-hmm. seasons. And, you know, before I, I started like getting published, I was writing for the Huffington Post at 21 in my junior year. Before I was getting those opportunities, um, I had my own website. Um, I had a little blog. So it was called Blogspot before I had the website, and it was hideous. But it was it was I was proud of it because I made it. Yeah. Um, myself, my website is gorgeous, but my blog site that I had before, and I just was writing, you know, stuff. Um, and I submitted some of that stuff to the Daily Pennsylvania before they just gave a column to any old body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they used to be a little bit more selective. There used to be an actual litmus test. I feel like I I, I I read some of that stuff and I'm not trying and see I don't have an issue with the writing because the writing's going to be horrible anyway. Like mm-hmm. when I look at my columns I'm like oh my god why, oh, I didn't like the way I, I could have did that better. It's not about that. It's about the ideas. One thing I loved about my college column and I still love to this day about it some of the other people that wrote columns some of them not everybody but mm-hmm. the ideas were original. I was writing my voice. I can appreciate my writing back then because I can say I like that this was what I was thinking and I was trying it. I wasn't copying anybody else's work. I was telling what I thought was to be truth in my vision. It was my idea. What I can't stand about reading some of the DP columns now is that some of the people that's there, one, you can tell, you know, my my, my favorite, one of my mentors used to always say, are you trying to be read or are you trying, are you writing because you have something to say? Hmm. And there are a lot of people in the DP columns currently that are writing to be read. They just want people to read them. Mm-hmm. They just want people to see them. They just want to be seen. They just want to, they just like their picture and their little byline and mm-hmm. they just want to be seen. Then there are people who are writing because I feel like there's something that needs to be said. It hasn't been said or hasn't been said in this kind of way and they have something they want to get off their chest and those are the writers I like to read. But there are some writers that are all about being seen and it's not even about actually um, getting a message across. It's really about me, 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 me. Look at me, look at me. What did you think about me? I, mm-hmm. I feel like, and I'm like, there's other ways to get that across. You don't have to write. You can write a song or well, you can sing well. a song. You can do a YouTube <laughs> video or you can go, you know, to a town hall. You don't have to actually write because the writing isn't that good. And it's it's just like, the, the, these platforms, these the, the think piece culture has really, and I'm guilty because I was a part of think piece culture when it first kind of started, like back when it became a think piece thing, mm-hmm. right? Was when HuffPost era when I was at Black Voices and writing for them, and that was in like 2012. Oh, that was six years ago, and it was mm-hmm. so different. That was I was 2021. 20, um, I'll be 27 in October. Um, but back then it was different. It was like you know. It was only a few people talking. I'm all democratic. I do believe people should be able to, there should be more voices. But back then there were there were a few voices that there was a couple of people that talked, but now it just seems like 
too many people are dissecting the littlest things. Mm. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll just put this example. Kim Kardashian, you know, walked out the White House. Thank and you. so somebody <laughs> is, and I mean, that, and it could be something to be said about that. But then you'll have a person that will, 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 will talk about, I, I, this is when, when think pieces go too far. When people are responding to what another person wrote. When you get to the point where you can't even have a, a new idea, your idea is what somebody else wrote, so you want to respond to that person, and that person will respond to that person, and then it's like a beef, and then it becomes like that's when it goes too far. And now I think that's where we're at in the place where now writers are writing about other writers, mm. like writers are criticizing, right? And sometimes it's important to do that, but now I think people are like literally making a living off of responding off of somebody else's work off the back, and like when are you gonna do your own work? Like, when are you going to come up with your own ideas? And so as a writer, I would say most of my my entire work is coming up with original ideas. And if I am responding to something that was said, it has to be something that is directly personal to me or to my work or something to directly to my community. But some people, I just feel like just they just are just trying to be seen. I'm like, there are other ways to be seen on the internet. I mean, and why do you want to be seen? What are you going to do with that? Like, I remember when the stuff happened with Justin Timberlake and that blew up and that was a big story mm-hmm. you know i you know i really did not know and didn't expect that to happen i always have to be careful i remember internet. when that happened I yeah was like, that wow. was that was two years ago this summer <laughs> the first time and then the second bout came when he wrote a song about me and it got on the billboard <laughs> charts and that was great our song went on the billboard charts. Our song. <laughs> um because if yeah if it wasn't if i if we didn't have that experience i would mm. that was the inspiration of his song so I was the inspiration behind a Billboard Top 10 hit for him. So he, it is our song. And even though I didn't get paid for it. I was about to you say. You um, nah, I didn't get paid. But, I mean, it's a part of history. And people can see my name and his name. And, you know, that was, that's impact, right? Mm-hmm. That could have been a simple. And, and here's the thing. I didn't even have a verified account back then. So the girls that be like, oh, well, that's because this, that. No, I was just chilling online and I had something to say. And so I'm always happy that I do tweet silly stuff all the time, but I'm so happy the stuff that has I've been viral for and the things that have been are things that are important things. That I'm like, yes, I'm happy people are having this conversation or thinking about this perspective. Um, I've had more tweets that have done way more bigger numbers than just civic, but that was a cultural moment because I got, you know, one of the most influential artists of the century, pop century, and mm-hmm. really right now hot to basically be held accountable in a way that he's never been accountable for. Yeah, journalists have been trying to get him to talk about Janet and really get into Janet and he had put that aside for like eight years and then I kind of brought that conversation back into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So I will tell a lot of the young writers to really focus on thinking about your purpose and why you're doing this because you can go the vanity route or you can go the impact route and I know both sides are very tempting but go the impact route because that's going to keep you employed. Because if you be a stunt queen, which is a lot of people pulling stunts, because once you pull a stunt, you have to keep doing stunts mm-hmm. oh. to stay relevant. <laughs> and it's like, <sighs> so you got to get to a point where you got to get beyond the stunts and you got to get beyond the validation of other people because this work is selfless work. It's, it's a lot of self it's, it's selfless work but then you have to also do shameless promoting to get people to know that you're out there in a way that is healthy and not just stupid like if you're gonna promote your stuff have something for people to watch y'all y'all be out here check out my website and I'll go on your website you don't got nothing to look at <laughs> it'll be like page not found, page not found <laughs> or, or it'll just be some photos of them looking like a model and I'm like is this a, is this a, is this a swimsuit uh-huh. or like, like come on y'all some of y'all really be trying to 
like I mean a lot of people are like I I can't with the with the pen kids trying to be Instagram models now. You know, it's it's, it's sad. I'm looking it's, like it's, and then they talk about I'm more than just a pretty face. Well, that's all I'm seeing <laughs> on your timeline. I'm not judging you. You have every right yeah. to show your body off. But don't be upset if that's all people are seeing you as or seeing you for mm-hmm. if that's all you're promoting. And I feel like this culture that we have. I mean, I'm just so upset sometimes when I see some of the some of the people, like some of the guys, they like are trying to really act like they rappers out here. Oh, yeah. The rap, or not even to <laughs> say rappers in the art form. Like there's some people that's trying to like actually create rhymes. Mm. But then there are people that are obsessed with the look. Like, oh, I'm out here doing big things. Like, yeah. why can't we just be nerds and just embrace that we're nerds? Why can't we just, and just like, why does college have to be a trap house? Like, we can make college. <laughs> yeah. College is cool as it is. We don't have to try to find this fake solidarity especially mm. for people like I'm from the hood you know and I, I have friends you know I, I'm 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 I have I've had experiences in that life and so when I see these these college prep kids and they have parents who are also alum of the University of Pennsylvania out here pretending there's something or not I'm just like why are we doing that mm. we, we don't gotta do that so that's the kind of stuff that really is annoying and that's the stuff that like I said in this in, in the real world Okay, where you have to deal with editors and producers and folks, they can cut the real from the fake. And that's why a lot of these people are not getting callbacks for internships, fellowships, and jobs. Because we're like, we've seen this, we know this, we've been there, you're copying next brother. Like, we already know. Like, my swag and my whole pers- my, my whole flow is different because I've invested in creating a voice. Focus on the voice. College is the best time to develop a voice. A lot of people are trying so hard to get put on. But get put on for what? What yeah. are you putting on? Like, what are you actually doing to put on? Like, what's the work? Build the work. And do it while you're in a position not to get paid for it. Like, when I was in college, I did a lot of work that I wasn't getting paid for at first. Um, I did a lot of internships. I did a lot of fellowships. I did a lot of trainings. I did a lot of stuff just to get involved. I, I got mentors that, you know, did not expect. to Like, the, the president of the National Association of Black Journalists, um, Sarah Glover, was working at NBC 10 as a social media um, like editor there, and I was an intern there, and I shadowed under her, and she was really dope. Did not know that years later she would be the national president mm-hmm. and that she will now be the person. She's now the person over all the social media for mm-hmm. the entire NBC-owned networks. She's oh, wow. the person over all of it. Uh-huh. And did not know that. I mean, did not know that we would be there. Like, I mean, my career has evolved. I've went on to win awards, and I'm a part of the national organization in a big way now. But we didn't know that. I didn't know she would be where she's at. I, she didn't know how we... But we, we, I just listened. And I just remember she just said, just do the work. Just, are you creating a social account? Are you ready for success? In other words, are you ready for that come up? Because there's people that are, I'm be like, are you ready? Because when I went viral with the Justin Blake situation, my website was intact. My account was ready. <laughs> all of my stuff was ready. When people wanted to find me online, they could find me. They could find mm-hmm. an email, all the reporters, the press. I had everybody and their mother emailing me. I got my BET contract from that experience because I already had some connections with BET prior, but the contract to write for them, which I still have and I still do some work with them to this day, that came through them. And then that opened up new opportunities and exposure and doors. So it's like these things come if you have the you have to be ready. And in, in, in the, and so the number one thing that reporters and editors always ask people is like, let me see your clippings, which for writers, that's like, let's see your previous writings. And people always say, well, I didn't I didn't work anywhere. And they're like, 
I don't give a what you it's you don't writing, you, like... <laughs> you could be writing like where's your writing like where your what's your stuff just because you haven't been published by a company or a brand doesn't mean you can't self publish your stuff until you get to that point. Pitch your stuff while also doing it. Start local. Mm-hmm. I started small. I I was at a free paper when I first graduated from college. While some of the girls were at Forbes doing business, not actually writing for Forbes. Mm-hmm. While some of the girls were working for these companies, but not actually doing media work. Like your account's payable. No shade. Get your money. But people like to use brands and titles, but people don't actually ask me what you're doing there. So there are people that's like, oh, that I'm at true. this company. Yeah. yeah, I'm at GQ. Doing what? <laughs> at GQ. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I mean, there's some people that, like, yeah. I mean, you know, there are people that love to tote the brands. Mm. I, I'm at the spot in my career, I've been blessed to be able to say, yes, I'm at CNN. What are you doing at CNN? I'm on TV at CNN yeah. because that's what people do on CNN. They go on TV and I write on CNN's website. Mm-hmm. Um, people say, oh, you're at the Griot, you're here. What are you doing? There? I write. That's what is as a media company. I produce media. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people go to these companies and they're not actually doing what the company does. They're doing, you know, side projects or a little stuff and it's not actually what that company is known for. Mm. But yet they're so hyped to say, I work for this company. It's like, yeah, yeah, you work for that company, but do you write for that company? Do you produce media? So for me, I want to always always put yourself somewhere where you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So when I was first starting at the free paper, I was at Metro, which is the free paper that's in Philly, New York, and Boston. When I got there, that was my first like big professional gig outside of college. I was writing for them. I was reporting. I was a reporter. I was reporting community stuff. I had an op-ed. I was a columnist. I did the stuff that I want to do. And I didn't care about how big or small that place was because that place took me to Philly Mag, got me in Philly Mag. And Philly Mag has ta- got me to USA Today, to CNN, to The Griot, to BT, and, and, and so forth and so forth on into everywhere else under the sun. But you got to get somewhere first. And I think too often we, we, we're so big on trying to be from zero to 100. And that's not how this, that's not how you last in this career. All the greats from the Charles Blows to the Roxanne Gray, Gaze to the Aaron Haynes Wack, who I love to death. She's, she's an Associated Press. They all started at places, I wouldn't say small, but they started somewhere first and they kind of slowly, it was a slow build up. And my career is in that direction. I want to. I want to gradual build. It's fun to see it gradually work. Like like the pen. You just can't just walk up into pen and just thinking when we can get a degree. If you yeah. have to gradually get four years to get a pen degree, then you're gonna have to gradually get to where you're gonna go if you really, if you want this to last and, and be successful. So mm-hmm. take your time, y'all, and actually do some work while you have that time to take. Yeah. So speaking of building. You recently said that you have been selected as this year's graduation commencement speaker for the first Philadelphia Preparatory Charter School. So congratulations. Um, When will that be? And is that the first time you're doing something like this? Yes, this is the first time someone actually thought it was a good idea to pay me money (laughs) to speak to a group of graduating kids. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I've done a lot of motivational speaking. I'm actually doing the speaking at Drexel. I I love how the girls at Drexel and Temple bring me out and they pay me to come Mm -hmm. out. And I I don't Uh. ask Penn to do that. Uh, Penn B, you know, they will give you a free meal and some swag. I'm like, I have enough Penn swag. (laughs) Like, I am Penn. Listen, when I came to Penn, I bursar (laughs) my freshman year before I knew that you had to pay for right. It's fine. I had ref- I had refund money, return money, so I was okay. But bur- listen, Bursa baby, you was out here dropping coins. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I have a lot of that stuff. And some of that stuff I can fit. Some of that stuff I can't fit. Some of that stuff I just have. Some of that stuff Barry wears. Like, I was like, Barry, when we started, and he, because he graduated in 2017. It's 2018 now. Damn. Uh-huh. He graduated 2017. <laughs> I graduated 2014. He, I was a senior when he was a freshman. Mm-hmm. So he was, I was like, you don't need to buy anything from Penn. Like, I have yeah. all this stuff. And it's it's still in style. And some of my stuff is, like, vintage now. Yeah, you do have one of those, like, what is it? Those letter like, the jackets? Oh, yes, That they honey. don't have anymore. Listen, they haters, <laughs> haters. And that was my, listen, I, I love that. That ja- That's one of my vintage. And I got mm-hmm. it so big because I knew I was going to, as I get old, I was going to get bigger. And I could still fit it. And it fits so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, wear, I wear it only during homecoming. It's too hot. From alumni weekend, because that's in May. Yeah. But I always wear it during homecoming and show out. Because there's not that many people that have one. That is true. And I decked <laughs> mine out. Like, I got patches and everything. That was, listen. <laughs> that's an example. Like And that was a bursar. That was a bursar that was bur- <laughs> I think it was, I think I paid $350 for it. Oh, wow. Like, by itself. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't some of the girls who was getting all us. I mean, but that was a good investment. I mean, I loved that project, <laughs> um, that product. Um mm-hmm. But you're used to doing like motivational speeches. Motivational speeches, like business speeches. I've spoken for um, corporations and, and companies, um, you know, that have co- had me come out and speak to their organization, diversity trainings, media trainings. Because that's part of my company. So Ernest Me Empire LLC, in addition to my writing contracts coming in, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people, sometimes you don't have to create, you don't create businesses just to take over and swindle people. You can sometimes create business to protect your taxes. Yeah. I got, so so here's the thing, and this is important. This is, this is, um, a major key. Um, you cre- you know, when you create small business, which is does not cost that much money, people think it's so much money to get a business. It doesn't cost that much. I always thought that because people walk around, I got a business. I, got a business. I thought it was going to cost so much money. It didn't. It wasn't that much. A couple hundred dollars. Um, some people use LegalZoom. I don't recommend. LegalZoom costs actually way more. People think it's cheaper. It's, it, no. There are companies in Philly. If you're in Philly, there's companies that will do it for you. Philly tax team, they're really good. But what basically this is what it was. Why I decided to get an LLC because people are like, Ernest, a businessman. Yes. <laughs> um, the reason why is and, and anybody who's independently working for themselves, it's called taxes, y'all. Um, when I was working, so if you work a regular nine to five job, you get a W two, and the W two basically is good because you get to they take the tax out your money. Mm-hmm. When you are working through as a contractor for companies, like you have an independent contract or something, that's freelance work, there's a 1099, I believe it's called. And that money gets, you get that all of that money up front. Oh. So if I get $400, if I if, 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 if someone says, Ernest, we're going to pay you $2,000 to write this piece, or so $4,000 to write this long-form piece, some, some, of, some of the contracts I've had recently, <laughs> they, will, they will say, okay, we're going to pay you this much to do it. You get that money straight to your account, but you still have to pay taxes on it. Mm. You know, yeah. Uncle Sam don't play. You don't pay taxes at that moment, but then at the end of the year, you got taxes. So when I first started doing freelance, I was so happy because I always had a W two situation. Mm-hmm. So whenever I had that refund check from that W two, yeah, I used to take some of that money and I used to put it over that money I was owed for my freelance. But then I got to a point where my because when I first started journalism, it was a sideline gig. It was a I was working part time. I had two jobs. I was working part-time doing teaching and getting W-2 money. And then I was also doing freelance work. So this was going side by side. Mm -hmm. But I want to say in the past two years, I've been doing this. My my main, my side John Hustle became my main John Hustle. 
and it's become my, my life. And I started making a lot of money. And then I was like, oh, my God, I have to pay all these taxes at first. When you get an LLC and a business account, you get to write off certain things off your taxes. Hmm. For example, the Wi-Fi that I use, I have to have Wi-Fi to operate my business because I'm a writer. Hmm. I can write the Wi-Fi off of my taxes. So all the money I spend on Wi-Fi, I can write that off. My cell phone bill, I can write that off. I can write off my traveling expenses. So if I'm out here using Uber all the time to go to a subject interview, whatever, I can write that off my taxes. Hmm. I can write off memberships to organizations that are trainings and camps for my job. These are all things that get reimbursed. So that takes off the amount of money I owe in my taxes because that's a part of me doing my job. So when you own a business, these are expenses. State, right. country-wise, you don't have to spend – like you're not going to be charged to do things for your company. And you get to write that off your – these are called tax write-offs. Mm -hmm. So if you donate money to a nonprofit, that's a tax write-off. That money – tax write-off means that money comes off of whatever you owe to the government. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, I owe $5,000 in taxes. <clears throat> if my cell phone bill was $1,000, write it off. Now I'm down to $4,000 I have to pay. Oh, but I went traveling. I had to travel to Hawaii to cover this story. Them traveling expenses, That's nice. cut off. <laughs> Hotel, because I had to lodge, write it off. Now you can't write off stupid stuff like, oh, I bought some McDonald's or something. Yeah. You can't write that <laughs> off. You can't write that you bought some shoes and a tie. Mm -hmm. Unless you... Like, Steve Harvey was able to write his suits off because apparently that was a part of his job. Hmm. Because he was required well, to wear a suit in a yeah. way. But, like, I don't have any of that. So I don't write off my Aldo flip-flops and my, my sneakers <laughs> and all. I don't play with them like that. But the serious stuff, I get to write off. And so when I found that out, having a business and having a separate account. So I have a business account. I have, I have a debit card, a credit card, and a business card. My business card is what I use for all my business expenses. So that's what keeps me responsible. Mm -hmm. So when I go to the store and I buy some pens, I'm like, oh, these pens are for my job. I use my business card for that. But my yogurt, my Chobani yogurt mm -hmm. I like to eat, that goes on the credit and debit card. Right. So you have to separate the two and be responsible. You have to get a financial person assistant, which there's lots of people in the city. I use Philly Tax Team as a black-owned company. That business that has been running for 20 years in the city, shameless plug, mm -hmm. that have been doing that work with me, helping me with that. But it is not hard to do that if you're really making the money. I wouldn't recommend it for people who don't make enough money that's not making no serious money. But if you're making some thousands coming in, writing or doing some work like that, you might be able to be able to write it off if you do that. So for me, getting a business was not to walk around here like Donald Trump and act mm -hmm. like I'm a businessman. It was really because it was economically smart for my business dealings and for my and for, and for me and also to legitimize it. When I give out my business card, I can actually give out a business card because yeah. I have a business. And also it was able for me to get services. And also I can now get interns. I don't have a, it yet, but I might get an intern within a year. Mm -hmm. Get some interns, maybe. Because I have enough work for them to do. And, and I really would like to have another assistant. Because I go to a lot of events. And I would really like to have somebody that I can, like, mentor and, like, bring in the business and bring around. Preferably of color. Don't have to be LGBTQ. But somebody that could that could be exposed to this. that You know, and I can intern and stuff. So I've been really working with thinking about that down the road. But right now, I'm experiencing my first year. And so that's big to me. Um, that is big. That is also a plug I think a lot of people will definitely enjoy. I learned something about about the tax cuts. I didn't know you could do that with an LLC. Um, and also just an LLC in general. Like when you like that's something that people will look at like, oh, you have your own company and it's and it's your name. Like it's not <clears throat> you're working for yourself essentially. And I think that's what a lot of people want to do 
um, but may not know or like have necessarily the outlets or the information or where to look for things like that. Um, yeah. And sometimes it start and sometimes it starts with you. You got to take the initiative. Hmm. Like for me, I didn't have anybody really, you know, up and down my throat saying, Ernest, you need to have a business. Ernest, you need to do this. Or you need, I mean, honestly, I had somebody um, that, you know, came to me and was like, we would really, you know, we would really like, you know, um, you know, you to think about broadening your horizons outside of just writing. Um, and I, I feel like I have a lot to bring to the, the industry, the journalism industry specifically, because of diversity conversations, conversations about how to not just diversity in just talking about hiring people of color, mm-hmm. but also how to cover communities of color. So I go to workshops, like I travel a lot, teaching journalists and in and, and the business how not to be racially insensitive, how not right. to be transphobic, how not to be homophobic, how not to cover things a certain kind of way. And so that opened my, that brought up my horizons. But essentially, I'm excited about being a commencement speaker, especially to this group of kids. So it's 45 of them. That's the best 45, number of 45 I've heard in the past <laughs> uh, two years. I'm going to probably make that joke in my speech. But I'm interviewing for, I'll have 45 kids graduating. This is the second year the school has had a graduating class. Oh, okay. So I'm really honored that, like, I'm a part of, like, this, like, this is the second graduating class they've had. Mm. They're fairly new school. And to be the second commencement speaker they've had. That's big. It's really exciting. And so that will be next week. Um, I'll be wearing regalia and all that, taking pictures and all that. And it it should be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I get to, you know, inspire them. And I think more so is that I think the speech is going to be more geared towards teaching them about how to take the skills because they're they're coming from you know a very you know they're coming from different backgrounds of adversity and they've they've rise above they're very resilient the class is very resilient class that's overcome obstacles to get to this point to graduate and i really want to tell especially kids from backgrounds like that that you know these are the tools that's going to help you survive in college and I was on the phone with my best friend, one of my best friends who was my roommate for years before. He's my boyfriend's roommate before when I graduated, Abel, Mc, Abel McDaniels. We're really good friends. Oh, I do know Abel. Yeah, Abel's yeah. great. And we was on the phone talking the other day. And I was saying it's funny because he also has him and my boyfriend actually knew each other in Jersey. Uh, Barry's from Trenton. Barry Johnson's my boyfriend. And then Abel, my former roommate slash best friend in the world. They are both in a Trenton, like New Jersey area. Um, and they knew each other through programs, and they both went through public school and all that. One of the things I was saying to him was that, you know, the the conversation about college readiness and prep is always centered around academics. Mm-hmm. Like, are you prepared based on what you know and what books you read and things like that? But when I look at all of us, all three of us have similar backgrounds. It wasn't really so much about what we learned in, in high school and what we didn't know. It was really our ability to overcome adversity and survive. Those tactics was what really pushed us. Like, my hustle throughout my four years in college had nothing to really do about what I learned in high school. It was really about the survival traits and the things that I learned to to fight up against those systems. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of what I'm going to tell them. Like, you already are college ready in ways that your more privileged peers aren't. Because a lot of the white kids that come to Penn, they have no cultural competency. Mm-hmm. They have no... Um, awareness of other people. And to me, those types of traits, not having those type of traits, plays a role in your ability to do your damn job. Mm -hmm. And then the funny thing is these people become CEOs and managers that lose their jobs and have to resign 
because they don't understand because how to work with different yeah. people. So all that education, all that money goes down the drain because you didn't understand one aspect of society or didn't understand that the world is not just about how much you can obtain through books, but also how you obtain through life. And so I think that was an important trait that I learned. And I think I'm going to try to talk about that level of having grit and those things in my speech. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck next week. Yeah, I'm sure you. that it will go well. Um, I have a couple more questions, sure, a couple quick questions. Them. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> They're just quick things. Um, <clears throat> who do you prefer, Pusher T or Drake? Pusher T. Best TV show you're watching right now? Pose. I'm excited about it. Oh, that's good. I saw that. The I don't other know how day. I feel. I'm still. I'm still. The, but don't don't ask me that. Like I don't know. You don't know right how now, it's going right, out. <laughs> I mean, the first the first the first pilot was in the press. It was one of the best pilots I've seen in a long time. Definitely. But, but uh, yeah, I'll say pose right now. Yeah. Um. What is your favorite seasoning? Hmm. It evolves. Um. It does evolve. I would say right now, chili powder. That's good. Chili yeah. powder right now. Um, I've been doing some new things in the house with it. I mean, Barry has done has done some 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 new stuff, like weird like weird stuff. Like um, I, I was making pasta the other day and I added it to the tomato sauce, mm. and it was weird. <laughs> and it was good. It, it was. It, it you can do it. You yeah. You can't do too too much of it because it gets too robust and it becomes like it takes over. But you can it it, it does something where it 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 reminds you like it it accentuates accentuates the flavor. Like it's like this is like. Okay, it mm. wakes you up. It, you can't do too much because then, I, like I said, like I said, it would be like something else. But just a little bit, you you know, it just is like okay. Mm. It it brings out everything else in the sauce. Have to try that. It, yeah. it works. <laughs> What's the best movie you saw in the last six months? Six months. Mm. Or however you would define recently. Three, 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 uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and I know a lot of people don't like didn't like that movie um, for different reasons, but I enjoyed it. I, I, I really did. Barry, I, I would say Barry's movie. He, he liked Call Me by Your Name a lot. Oh, um, I heard that was pretty. good. It was I. Right. I mean, I thought it was okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I've, it, it was okay mm -hmm. for me. Um, but I really did like that. I really, really liked that. Um, Cause I just thought it was I I I just I like stuff sometimes that I'm just blunt, and if it is uncom if if people are uncomfortable by it and what they were uncomfortable by was a reality that no one was ready to see and it was a little before its time, and it says I think people weren't ready to see this depiction of Middle America in that kind of way mm -hmm. right now because it's like making people upset. But I mean, I mean people people thought this was a, this is America music video was everything which I mean it was it was it was it was cool it, was, but, it were things <laughs> yeah I don't I mean I like Donald Glover I mean I would say darn Atlanta's not only more but the last season Atlanta was great mm -hmm. I really like Atlanta I like him I know there's some issues with him and he's gonna get better yeah uh, I wish he would come out <laughs> no he's not out I don't think he's I don't know if he is not said he's gay yeah. but I, I I think in my I, in my head I think there's something up and I would be willing for him to. Just tell the rest of us, but mm -hmm. you know. Teach but can, can, congrats to Janelle Monet. <laughs> what were you saying? Um, who do you think is the most overrated rapper? Drake. Oh, Drake. <laughs> I love. Drake. He's not even a rapper. He's trash. <laughs> I love Drake. No, he's a problem. Drake is a problem, and I'm enjoying everything that's happening with Pusha T with him. Um, 
because he's he's not a rapper and this pseudo I mean who sends out a press release in the middle of a rap battle yeah and he did not address <laughs> and you know what's so disrespectful is that for all the, the girls and, and I have friends that are devout Drake fans that their homegirls are like really really like him like really like him liked him before that's, you that's... was conceived child like, <laughs> like this this Drake love for people there are people that really I, I w- listen this, if y'all I, first of all to the current classes at Penn I don't understand how y'all can like him now. He's really bad now. He's just catchy. There was no, he's not. And there's better catchier rappers, honey. Like, no, no. Like, I were, listen, you all did not listen. There was a time where Drake, I came to Penn when, when Thank Me Later had just came out that summer. Oh, that's good. In 2010. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, how old were you then, girl? I mean, I'm 11? 20. No, you were the last. <laughs> You were like you really now. were eleven. Okay, so I was right. I still I still do appreciate his his earlier music is better than his. Okay, his music. so I do but, but, but I do understand, agree with but that. understand. <laughs> I was, was like 11. a sophomore when Take Care came out. So this mm. was a move. Oh, that was a movement for everything that was happening. I couldn't listen to anything else. Uh-huh. Not myself, but every party. It was like somebody wanted even to force this shit on us, and I was mm. like, I don't want to hear this. But like, I mean, it was a mood, and I appreciated that. And then when. Nothing was the same came out. Things just got really left. Um, <laughs> the other the other thing, too, was what else? The Weekend mixtape era. Y'all were here for that. I like The Weekend, and I like his mixtape But, but it, his new stuff is okay. <laughs> I, don't like his new, I don't like his newer stuff. I, no. I, I enjoy some of it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy some of it. But House of Balloons, mm. when, I was, when I was a radio, when I was doing radio on campus, <clears throat> Weekend was so un- was so unknown that <coughs> they were giving us the records for free. Oh, just play like his yeah. old vinyls, like oh, like his whole mixtape era, like mm-hmm. like that was when that was also right before Frank Ocean came out. Mm-hmm. So I remember how the whole community in the world shook when he came uh, out. He was he's overrated. He's overrated <laughs> too. He's also overrated a little bit more than Drake. Uh-huh. But he he I remember when he came out. Before he came out, there was this obsession with him and the mixtapes, nostalgia and all that. Again, these were moments. And now people be hyped about these artists. I'm like, man, y'all are <laughs> they are past their luster. So yeah, Drake is definitely overrated. Mm-hmm. Overrated rapper. Throw him away. And there's a and, then, and whoever these little Uzi Verts and oh, these the, extensions oh, and these little oh, somethings. Them, yeah. Whoever that little crew is, they could all the go away. Rappers They're with not the, even with rappers. The dreads, and Post Malone colors. is a problem and y'all need to get rid of Post Malone. I was about Malone. to say, but people I don't think really, I, do people like Post Malone? Like I mean, he's got, the, he's got the number one album in the country. He's mm. had several number one hits. He's hot right now, honey. Them, he's uh, headlining Made in America. I saw, With Nikki, with Nikki. <laughs> so, I, I mean, no, Post Malone. I think Post Malone's a problem. Oh, he's absolutely a problem. I think I think his music... Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't want to be a rapper. He's garbage. I mean, I appreciate... No, I don't appreciate anything about him. <laughs> um, I mean, he's his career is... But his numbers, his numbers mm. rival... I mean, I, I think he might be the second, probably the most second, most powerful, like really, really hard-hitting rapper since Eminem and as far as white weird. rappers. Because <laughs> it, it, Malcolm Moore was corny. Yeah. And Malcolm Moore was never for us. And Malcolm Moore wasn't. But what Post Malone is doing, he is touching a nerve in like the black music scene that no other rapper has been able to do since him. I mean, people say Iggy's up, but even Iggy was not. No, we, no mm. one let Iggy like really slide. Like Iggy yeah. had that one little, she couldn't even come out the second album. No. And, and Malcolm Moore <laughs> couldn't come out the second album. But Post Malone, this is like his second album. Mm-hmm. And this is like his second go around. And people are really letting him. Like come up in here and really, really do it, and I really feel like he's gonna 
he's going to pick up where, my, where where Eminem left off because Eminem is now dry Eminem's and flat now. Yeah. So I really think Post Malone's trying to be the next Eminem. He has potential because it's themselves. Mm-hmm. Who do you, you think know? is the most... Do you have a most underrated rapper? Oh, underrated. Um, yes, Vince Staples. Mm-hmm. I actually have heard that before. My God! <laughs> Why is this man going to get a Grammy nominee? I think he gets Grammy nominated. He needs a Grammy! Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vince Staples is the most underrated rapper right now. I mean, mm-hmm. for all these rappers that got put on before him, um, definitely, definitely Vince Staples. Mm-hmm. I will definitely say that all day, every day. I don't know what everybody else be talking about. And I love Future, and I know people have their feelings about him, but I just lo- I just want to say I love Future. <laughs> and I'm part of the Future Hive. I don't know uh-huh. why. Judge your mother, don't judge me. <laughs> um, but, like, I just love him. And I know he's a pride. I don't know what... Whatever. But shout out to him also practicing respectful consent. There was apparently a groupie that came to the hotel (laughs) and, you know, clearly she wasn't trying to put out. So he just canceled the reservation, just canceled the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And people was mad. I was like, no, he did what he's supposed to do. Before I even come in in a situation that can happen, I'm going to make sure you don't even get the key. He changed the key. He changed the key. So that's how you do it. (laughs) Okay, men on campus don't understand what consent is and y'all 22 and 23. Mm -hmm. But then somehow... Y'all know consent anyway. I, I would just say that, like, that's how you do it, right? Mm-hmm. You just say, listen, this is what I want to do. You ain't trying to do that. You know what? I ain't going to waste your time. No yeah. need for you to come in the studio because that's not what I was trying to do. Be good, clear Liz. about your intentions. <laughs> intentions. Be clear about what you're trying to do. And, hey, you, you could call him a, 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 a jerk for doing that, but you can't call him a rapist. Yeah. So can't. I appreciate the transparency. I'm good, love, enjoy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, One gotta go. Mac and cheese, fried chicken, or yams? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> is that a real question? It is a real question. I mean, come on, yams. I yeah. like yams. <laughs> and I eat them all. And actually, my favorite, I always say that I do the rainbow plate mm-hmm. when I go out and get soul food. The rainbow <laughs> plate is that I get the rainbow, literally. I get um, fried chicken Yams, which are orange, mac and cheese, which is yellow. It's supposed to be yellow. If you eat any type of mac and cheese that's not that color, I mean, people doing it, yo, people are trying it. Like, my potato salad has to be yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, but real talk, yeah, my mac and cheese has to be yellow, but it, it has to be um yellow. Um, greens are greens. There need to be green. Mm-hmm. And that's my mix. And sometimes, you know, if, you know, but I like a color. I like a color. I like a hue. I always say if it, the plate doesn't have color, then you're really not eating soul food. Like it's, a, it's supposed to be a rainbow. And if you get mm-hmm. some good, if somebody has something else they want to throw, some Brussels sprouts that are nice light green, you know, you just want some <laughs> color with the bacon, mm-hmm. maybe some bacon or something. Just brown. It has to be a rainbow. If the plate is not a rainbow. You're not eating soul food. Mm. And I have one last question. Oh, I love this. Can we have another question? Because no. <laughs> I know you got some more questions. You can ask me a couple more. I, I, love, I really love this. I can ask you a couple more. Actually. Please! I love this. Okay. I'm, I'm happy that I came on this show. <laughs> this is the best podcast I've been on in a minute. Oh, I'm glad. We also, my friend, well, let me clarify that real quick. My besties, um, Abdul Ali Muhammad and mm-hmm. Antoine Knows Carter. That's what he calls himself. He's a big Beyonce fan. Mm-hmm. He's not really happy with the Mrs. Carter tour right now. But, oh. but he, but he, but we had, they have a podcast called Four Colored Boys. Mm-hmm. And it's four colored boys, boys with a Z, and it's a queer black um, podcast. And I 
co-produced it. And I also am like a little like ad, ad, I'm like oh I'm, I co-produced the co- podcast. I do more of the social media and everything with it. But I also sometimes like a guest. I have a little segment called E Chat, and they purposely time me five minutes because they say I talk too much. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about, but they give me five minutes to go in and spill. But I I've been doing this with them this season. This is their second season is doing it. It's a great podcast it's on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. I'll definitely link um, it. all that. Yeah, yeah. four colored boys. And I and they wanted me and they, and they made me do that, so yeah. that's that. But go ahead with your, your questions. Um. Okay. On the topic of food and things, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Ooh. Um. Pecan, butter pecan pralines and cream. Pecan mm-hmm. pralines and cream. That's hmm. the flavor. I have to have that. That I is. Had that, before. that is. Huh. I haven't had that before. They make it. They they have the pecan pralines. A company called Bluebell, but that's not here. Oh, I know Bluebell. Okay, you know Bluebell. Okay, <laughs> I know good. Bluebell. So Bluebell has mm-hmm. that flavor and it's phenomenal. Um, but uh Talentini, their gelato. Oh, that's good. Yeah. They have a gelato that is pecan pralines and cream. They also mm. have that flavor. And you can get it at CVS and sometimes you know, I'm a CVS card holder. I really take advantage of discounts two for eight. I think they have it for sometimes two for eight. Child, that's everything. That's my that's my color. That's my that's my favorite uh color. Favorite flavor, ice cream flavor. <laughs> what's your um what's your favorite shoe brand? Aldo. Mm-hmm. I love Aldo. Aldo is affordable. Aldo has different designs. Aldo understands that for men specifically, that shoes are not meant to be kept for 5,000 years. I don't know where people are on that, but like, I love a good shoe that's seasonal. Their mm-hmm. shoe, I'm having their flip flops right now. Sometimes you can keep them longer. Like, I love Aldo because they understand shoes. For me, they show the shoes. I mean, if you get a good sale, most of the shoes are under hundred dollars. If you mm-hmm. if you if you really rock in a good sale, their shoes are trendy. So it's like you wear them, and if they're out of season, or you know you 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 wear, you're only supposed to wear them a couple of times. You're like you're not supposed to wear them. They're not the wear to work the shoe to work every day. Mm-hmm. So I can buy like ten pairs of shoes from Aldo, right? And like alternate through them based on my moods. And when season change, I don't ever get mad because I'm like, I only spent like thirty dollars. I only spent like twenty dollars. Yeah. I only spent sixty. I mean, it is what it is. That's like a dinner date. Not really. No, that used to be a dinner date. That's like <laughs> half the dinner date now mm-hmm. with my with my boyfriend and I. But you can you can go through some shoes, and and you don't have to be guilty about it. Like I could say, listen, these shoes I have are so stylish. But if they, you know. If I wear them, I mean, I don't wear them too much, but if, if, if something was the, they get old or faded or something a year later, I'm not mad because I only spend 60. Like, you're supposed to go through them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how I feel about shoes. But mm-hmm. Aldo's my favorite shoe company. Which do you prefer, Instagram or Twitter? Ooh, Twitter. Yeah. Because you got opinions. <laughs> Be out here, you go to their time all this bitch, beach <laughs> photos. Yeah. Floydian slip. And nothing but like fake. Posing like people just be randomly po- like, like what you are can you tell doing? someone's uncomfortable on the beach like that. What are you doing? And these people that be putting these stupid captions, stop it. You look stupid. You sound dumb. You sound hella dumb. Stop it. Stop it. Um, what is your best breakfast dish? Are you well, huevos rancheros is mm-hmm. my favorite breakfast dish. Um I'm I I'm, I stay away from chicken and waffles. I'm over it. Y'all have ruined it. People have ruined it. Y'all have ruined it. Y'all go to Axum. <laughs> that's all you get. The best thing they got is duck and waffles when it's a special. But nobody Ooh. wants to eat the duck and waffles because Wait a nobody understands. That sounds good. That's a special. That's there, and that's what I get when they ever have it and waffles. I will never get 
I will never get chicken and waffles at a restaurant. You guys have ruined it on the East Coast. I mean, growing up there was that was a thing. But like, I'm so it's just such a played out thing. Like mm-hmm. some stuff just gets played out. The idea was good, and then y'all ruined it. A kale smoothie <laughs> was a hot thing, and then y'all ruined a it. A kale smoothie. <laughs> a kale smoothie was a cool thing at first, and then y'all ruined it. Mm-hmm. And, and then now y'all have ruined. Now y'all done ruined that. Y'all done ruined a lot of other things. <laughs> I mean, people just ruin things. Like they just do it to the most. Like. Uh, like there's a lot of things that just been ruined, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm I'm pissed. I'm upset. Uh huh. I'm upset. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Drake <laughs> thinks he's inventing everything, Columbus of hip hop. But no, I I'm, I I don't like. Yeah, I, I I would say that my favorite. Yeah, hey, what's my chose? Because you can't get. See, I like a breakfast. To me, an ideal breakfast entree is one that incorporates flavor, protein, complex carbs, all in one dish. Mm-hmm. Chicken and waffles don't really do that. But huevos rancheros do that, right? You got salsa. You got beans. You got chorizo. You got eggs. You got tortilla. Mm. Like, that's a real breakfast, right? You give it some... And it's got its own flair. And it's got originality. Like, you can't... I can make some really great huevos rancheros. But, like, that's that's how you make it. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good breakfast entree. Go ahead. Who's your favorite superhero? I'm not really into superheroes like that. Um... I mean, does it have to be an actual superhero, or does that can it be like, or like a power? I, I I'll be cute. I will say my favorite suit. I love Storm. Mm-hmm. I like Storm. Mm-hmm. Storm. I get my life from Storm. Storm just comes with it. Storm nice. is fun. I like Storm. Yeah, and black women are superheroes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, like, I like Storm. <laughs> yeah, I'll say Storm. And this is my last question. So, oh, fine. Fine. <laughs> in a couple sentences, what are your thoughts on Kanye? I don't want to talk about him. That's my fault. <laughs> That's a couple of seconds. He gets, he gets he gets too much. He gets too much. He asked me another question. He gets too much press, and I feel like. That's the problem is that mm-hmm. we're giving him what he wants. He's an egomaniac. Mm-hmm. He's a narcissist, and he's just like Trump. He's just the black yeah. face of Trump because he really. I mean, he knows. He knows. This is the, like like my thing is he, for years, has had serious conversations about race. And his music, that's how he got his fan base. Yeah. And then, and I'm here I am talking about him. <laughs> so, no, no, we're not talking about him. It's like, we all no, know. No, he needs help. <laughs> and it's not us. And, and and here I will say, Kim, get out of your husband's mess. Stop fighting your husband's mess. Stop getting up in his drama, honey. Because you are not black. And you in black people's mess. And this is not your fight. <laughs> This mm-hmm. is not your cross to die on. I know that he makes you, he says you, he says you're a part of community, girl. We ain't claiming you. <laughs> so, you know, and congrats on helping get Mary commuted. And that was a great thing you did. But remember yeah. that, you know, the devil will always drop a little bit of water on the skillet before it burns. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel about Trump and his actions. Like, he let one person free. He ain't going to let everybody else free. Yeah. He did that to let you know that he can. So that when he don't, we can't go back and be like, well, he's never. No, he's done it so he can say he can't. He's about to. I mean, look at the Department of Justice right now. Look who runs the Department of Justice. Like, look at who runs the Department of Justice. Real talk. And tell me if you're not worried about the current state of mass incarceration in this country and everything else. So mm. those are my thoughts on that. Do you have a favorite actress or actor? Yes. Who's your favorite? <sighs> I know it's so cliche, but I, I do love Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. I do like Meryl Streep. Um, I think she's great. I think she's phenomenal. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of her. But I will tell you this. The most underrated actress, in my opinion, underrated actress, is Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. 
Underrated. Mm-hmm. Underrated. And I will, I will, I will, I will ask anybody to tell me someone else who is not underrated. Like Viola Davis is not underrated. She is getting, she's got her Oscar, yeah. she's got her Tony, she's got her Emmy. <laughs> We're waiting for her to get a Grammy. <laughs> I I I would predict that she will narrate. Well, see, Michelle will Michelle Obama will not get Viola Davis a narrate becoming Michelle mm-hmm. because she can do it and she can make her coin. Yeah. And she can do it. And people would like to hear Michelle Obama's voice. At first, I thought maybe she'll get Viola Davis to do it so then Viola Davis can get a recording Grammy. But Michelle won her own Grammy. <laughs> and she will get her And own she will Grammy. get her Grammy for narrating, like Bill, like Obama did for narrating mm-hmm. his book, Letters to My Father. He got a Grammy. Obama has a Grammy. Next says Nobel Peace Prize. Bill Clinton has a Grammy. I think Hillary has one. Child, mm-hmm. they all have one. She needs to get hers. Yeah. But. I, I would I would say you know yeah Viola Davis has her has has her shine, but I really feel like Angela Bassett just like she should be in the like she's ageless and she should be in the conversation more like she gets a little bit of known notoriety but her, even her husband has a lot more he has an Emmy he has a Tony. But mm-hmm. she don't be getting they don't be giving her the awards. Yeah. And she's been giving us work, consistent work. Like she's been in the scene. She has Oscar nominations. She has tons of Tony nominations. Um, I don't think she has any any, any Tony, I mean, not Tony, Emmy nominations. She doesn't have any, any Tony nominations. Even though I saw her with Samuel Jackson, um, there was a play she did called On the Mountaintop that was a biopic, and she played Coretta Scott King. Mm-hmm. And she was in and, and Samuel Jackson played, I think, MOK. And they were together in this great play that was on Broadway a couple of years ago. And she was phenomenal. I thought she was going to get all the love, and she didn't. She's underrated. People need to go and look up her movies and read about her. She definitely is. And Audrey Woodard, I would say she's underrated too, but she also gets a lot of shine nowadays. Mm-hmm. But Audrey Woodard, these are the greats. People that be talking about they want to do acting. I'm like, why don't y'all check these people out? Yeah. Like, these are people that's been doing the work and has had longevity, had kids, had marriages, had success, whatever. Give me one question and advice of I will access my advice because I'm on a I'm on a stream of consciousness now. <laughs> to the pen kids, because I think this is the thing I've been seeing a lot of them do lately. Y'all worry too much about relationships on mm-hmm. campus. And this stuff is stupid. Y'all stupid. Okay. Y'all play yourselves. Talk to me. <laughs> Y'all do. Y'all really do. And I wanted to say that because I've never had the opportunity to really say that in any of the forums I've been at talking to kids. But y'all be playing yourself these relationships. Like and I shouldn't be sick because I did find my boyfriend at Penn and we do live together and we we have a lease and that worked out pretty well. And he got me, he snagged, he snagged an award-winning journalist when he was a freshman. <laughs> 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 but but yo, but I mean, it can happen for some people. But I think it's it's very superficial, some of y'all. Like what y'all are really doing it for. I see, and I'm gonna go on both sides. I'm not gonna leave not one hand untouched. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of um I see a lot of uh well I'll start with the girls. I see a lot of because I had a, I was always that gay friend for all of my homegirls who had problems mm-hmm. um with people in the community. Like they had issues with relationships and I was always that shoulder they had to lean on and I was always like that person that they need to lay on, they lay their head on and talk to because, you know, they need they needed somebody. And I and I get it, right? But one of the things that I think was always about purpose and like intentuate like intention. What was your intention? Like, why? Why do you care? Why do you want to be in this relationship? What are you? What? What's the? What's? What's? What you doing it for? And for freshmen, especially, you haven't even declared your masters, but you want someone to declare your relationship. 
hella. You have I'm not masters. <laughs> you haven't declared your degree yet. Yeah. You haven't agreed. You have declared your major, but you're trying to get someone to commit to you and declare whatever this relationship is. And I'm and I also think too, the issue is around sex. People are scared to have sex on campus. First of all, you need to be having protected sex. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but 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 beyond the protected sex element, I think people are scared to have sex in a way that is liberating. In the sense that the reason why girls on campus really want a boyfriend so bad, I feel like some of the girls I know is because they were scared to have sex with multiple partners as what humans do without mm-hmm. feeling as though somehow this body count that doesn't... Body count is a myth. Mm-hmm. It's a myth. It's an illusion. Stop it. And no one asks boys the same thing Yeah. about body counts. Like, no one's ever being like, dude, you've had... You know, he could... Like, this dudes could be out here messing with your friend, your ex-friend, your enemy, your rival, your your your, your teachers, your, uh, <laughs> your, uh, your uh, staff aide, your teacher aide, and the security guard. Because that has <laughs> happened. That has happened. That has happened. True story. And, and, well, and the dining hall girl, too. True mm-hmm. story. Know somebody who did that. That's not a lie. I'm stating facts. <laughs> um... But they could do all of that, yeah. and yet nobody cares. But then these girls are somehow saving their bodies for a man who has not saved their body for you. Stop it. If you want to defeat feminism, defeat sexism, I mean, you have to actually address the issues happening in our own communities. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing that. Like, we're not actually out here um, combating the sexism. Like, people come in this campus about they feminists and all this, but then they're practicing very anti-feminist ideals that are involving slut shaming so to girls on campus listen i'm gonna tell you my experience and i'm a man but i'm not trying to compare but i'm just saying this whole idea about dating and all this heteronormative homonormative whatever it is when i before i was dating barry i had a situation where i literally talked to one dude for several months and didn't do anything with him mm-hmm. and we call ourselves dating and I'm thinking that that was going to make me some better person for him or whatever. Child, we dated, literally, you know, did all that. We we dated without having sex, thinking like, you know, we were doing something. <laughs> and we end up doing it. And then the day, the next day or two days later, we just stopped talking. I don't know if it was, I, my sex was not whack. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think that we just, I don't know. We, that, clearly that's all he really wanted. Maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe that, maybe, I don't know what it was. But then I had one dude where I met him at the club and we got it in like the first or second night and we dated for two years. And he went to Penn's campus actually. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, <laughs> he's not, well, he's still he's still on campus. Ooh. He didn't finish. Super sick. You know what? Everybody's on journey. Well, well, but, well. But anywho, um, he, you know, so that was a different experience. You know, that was, a, but that, that goes to show you. People are going to make up their mind and do what they want to do regardless. You cannot change the outcome of a person. When you're in a relationship, people make decisions. People can choose to stay in a relationship or not. Mm-hmm. While I love being in a relationship and in my relationship, my relationship is very transparent in the sense that it's like we are together because we want to be together. He's not with me because of, of obligation or force. I'm not with him because I have to be like, it's not that. I want to be, mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship, and this may sound really cliche and weird, but like, I'm in a relationship because I want to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with people that get in these situations, it's like they're doing stuff, it has nothing to do with, with relationships work because you want to be in it. You work to be in it. I'm faithful in the relationship because I want to be in it. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be faithful, if you don't want to be in a relationship, then you need to actually hit the door. You need to take a step. You have to go. 
And I think the problem is nobody wants to go anymore. Everybody wants to, you know, have the best of both worlds, like like Miley Cyrus. <laughs> and the problem is, is that we we have too many people out here that's trying to, um, you know, have the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, so. I'd say that's a good place to end. Yeah. Do you. Do what. Do you. And literally, do you. And mm-hmm. guess what? These people ain't hiring you. They're not putting you on. And all these people that keep these fake friends, y'all, listen, when you graduate, you're going to have a whole new world of people. Some people you're going to keep. Like, I kept my best friend Abel, my best friend Amanda Parks. I still have a couple of good, really good homies that I'm still close to to this day because we were really close to each other in college. But some of these other people, I every blue moon when they see me on TV or see an article or something, they slide my DMs with the, hey, hi, how are you? Hey. I see you've what been a- doing well. Yeah, all this crap. <laughs> or, 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 or they're so arrogant that they'll say things like, oh, how's life? Like, you don't know how I've been living. <laughs> living fabulous, girl. Living fabulous, boy. But that's like, you get all of that. Yeah. So I, I want to tell y'all, like, seriously, do what's best for you and stop. Like, I don't get how, like, how are you taking advice from people that's not in your journey of field? People be mm-hmm. like, what do you think about my writing career? Says the guy across the street that's in engineering. Why would he give me advice? Talk mm-hmm. to people that's in the industry. Like, you're talking to me. You're asking me to give advice to people who is doing the work. Because I'm doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. We, I can give them advice because I'm in industry. But too many people at Penn are asking for advice from their friends. First of all, your friends don't have all the answers. Sometimes you're going to have to talk to people that you that you don't bang with every day. Sometimes you're going to have to talk to people that's not in, at Penn. Sometimes you're going to have to find the truth and get things that are uncomfortable. But you got to get it from somewhere. I mean, even dating advice. Like, I mean, you're getting it from people. Like, first of all, no one should be getting sex advice and dating advice from people that are their age. Like, I mm-hmm. never do. Like, my best advice about relationships has come from people that are older than me, folks that are married. I have friends that are married. I see the, the things that they do, the things they learn. I learn from people that are, who have had those experiences. Because, like, the people on my end, like, in college, especially, like, when I was navigating my sexual orientation and dealing with, like, how to understand homophobia and deal with it on Penn's campus, mm-hmm. how am I going to ask for advice from other people on campus that's in the current struggle or just, or not? They don't know. They like, they like acting like an old person. They like, uh, just drink some 7-Up and go sit down. Take a drink of Sprite, baby. Go yeah. take a Tylenol. Like, that's how they was handling it. But that wasn't what I needed. So my advice to people just in general, especially those people up and coming, you know, really, you're at an important part in your life where you don't have any children. Most of y'all are not married. But y'all, everybody getting married now. Yeah. People that shouldn't be getting married. Well. Folks <laughs> that are, like, getting married to women that... Like men, and that's fine, <laughs> you know. If that's your what you're into, I mean, I'm not judging. Yeah, but there's some people out here, honey, that's getting married. Like I'm just like, I mean, don't worry, I'm gonna be married soon, y'all, because y'all like, I well, you ain't waiting. Listen, I'm gonna get married soon. I actually want to have a real wedding. Mm-hmm. Like I want to have a royal wedding, so that takes time. Oh, okay, <laughs> but you know, like I'm like on some Celine Dion, I want doves out my house. Let me anyway. But some people out here be getting married, and I know y'all getting married for taxes. Because let me tell you, the longer <laughs> I'm in this relationship, the more I be looking like when I see taxes. I'm like, you know what? I have to keep saying I'm single on my taxes, and this is costing me more. Because when you're in a relationship, mm-hmm. you married, you know your taxes are cheaper. Like goes That's down. True. Yeah, like. 
I get the economics behind it. <laughs> some of y'all got some college debt. Y'all trying to take take uh-huh. your loans off. Maybe they, maybe people hire. Maybe people are like getting married just like to get like just to, to get these loans because these loans are killing these kids. Maybe. I didn't really have loans in college. I mean, I really actually Penn didn't actually screw me over with that. I know that it's happened to some people. Bless mm-hmm. their hearts. Because yeah. they be telling people it's, it's loan free. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but read but... that paper. And then y'all out here <laughs> going abroad. Like y'all got, like, like them quite. <laughs> okay. Where can listeners find you on this Listeners can find media me on and... Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find me on Twitter um, at Mr. Ernest Owens. So that's at M R. E-R-N-E-S-T-O-W-E-N-S. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can just Google me. And my accounts are verified on Facebook and Twitter. So if ever you see my name in a blue check and Ernest Owens, like, it's there. Like, I'm very mm-hmm. findable. So when people say they can't find me in these streets or I'm running, I'm not running from anybody. Yeah. If you look, if you're trying to catch me, you can catch me out here mm-hmm. in these streets. Like, I'm really very, very public. And sometimes I'm a little bit too public. But... If people are trying to find me and email mm-hmm. me or reach out to me, I'm very responsive. Like, I've been doing emails, and I had a story just drop just now while I'm talking to you. I'm just really, like, we just, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Um, so, yeah, I'm available online for speaking engagements. People want me to come speak to them or whatever. I mean, yeah. And I am and I'm, I'm tend to be good with the kids. I don't charge to talk to young kids. But if mm-hmm. you a grown-ass adult and you want, like, two hours of my time... <laughs> at least pay for lunch yeah. do you pay for lunch <laughs> I don't drink coffee so that whole coffee thing I don't do the whole coffee I hate coffee mm-hmm. I don't need coffee I'm, uh, no coffee ages you <laughs> it's true and don't drink at Starbucks y'all like we don't still on that we still on that boycott <laughs> alright All right. thank, thank you so, so much, much. <laughs>